Thanks for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs. Today, I am joined by special guests John and Mike from Black Powder Red Earth. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing okay. Thank you. <laughs> There's someone else there, Mike. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure you went quiet there for a second. Um, so I've recently seen on the Facebooks and everything that you guys are launching a new 28 millimeter uh, miniature wargaming based around something called Black Powder uh, Red Earth, which I had not heard of until I saw some miniatures on specterminiatures.com with that labeled as like by the BPRE miniatures, and I never heard of it. And um, would you like to explain what Black Powder Red Earth is? Um. So, like a historical perspective on the franchise, or what, what we're doing right now? Yeah, what? So this is a franchise. So when I see it as miniatures, and then I Google it, um, graphic novels come up. So where did the universe of Black Powder Red Earth start? Okay, so, so there. Okay, so there's there's kind of two. There's a couple of phases here. So I'll kick it back to like 2008, 2007. Um, Echelon starts based on the idea of a, a new IP that I've kind of come up with with a couple of my friends uh, at the time, um, who are one of them is still my business partner today. Uh, Black Powder Red Earth was going to be a new kind of multiplayer, like like near future sci-fi multiplayer shooter that was going to use social networking as like sort of a integrating aspect. Like it was the sort of hub of which the game revolved around. And we were going to have concepts like connected battlefronts and you know, different gameplay that would kind of like Chrome Hounds did, honestly, from what I know about Chrome Hounds, I've never played Chrome Hounds, but there were a lot of similar ideas to that. And ultimately what went into battlefield three. And we spent a couple of years trying to make that happen. And ultimately it did not. It, it never. It never ended up taking off, right? There were a couple of false starts, but it, it never. It never took hold. So, uh, in the interim, I'd been doing a lot of work in the sort of uh, national defense space, if you will, and uh, made a lot of contacts over the years who had been consulting on the future of of you know infantry fighting, and that led to our first series, which was black. The original Black Powder Red Earth, which I think we published in 2011. We we created it in like 2009, and it was the idea was to do a modern conflict gaming IP, if you will, like franchise that was going to be much more grounded in reality versus the fantastical, you know, gotta save the world, you know, we, you know, like your more blockbuster style like Bruckheimer uh, narratives. So, you know, we had rules: no Russians, uh, no nuclear weapons, and no heroes. Right. Like it was all because of the people I was working with at the time, uh, I had a lot more insights into what was going on in the ground in a different number of conflicts, like specifically Iraq at the time. Uh, and I was also doing a lot of other things at the same time. I was we, I, we had launched um, Magpul Dynamics. We were one of the, the partners in launch of that uh, company, which is a you know small arms training company. We then partnered with Travis Haley after he left Magpul Dynamics to launch Haley Strategic Partners, um, which is another, again, training and equipment development company for s small unit tactics, you know, special operations, weapons manipulation. Um, and we, we continued that. We worked – we did a lot of work in the national defense space. We worked with BCM Rifle Company. We produced uh, their website, a number of films, uh, went on to make – 
documentary series with them, uh, American Gunfighter, and produced some of their action films, The Capability. And you know, and again, working with all these people, we had a lot of like side by sides with with real world guys. So we were constantly getting new information about what was happening on the ground around the world and like new developments in infantry fighting, you know, and, and like the most notably the last companies I'd worked with were Northern red and um, GBRS for a while. So uh, BPRE essentially is mirroring what I thought conflict based on the information I was getting and like following uh, sort of what was happening in the world at the time, it was mirroring a lot of what I thought the next big conflict was going to be. So our first series was about Iraq after it had been what I we imagined it was going to be split up into multiple countries uh, with Iran controlling one part and Saudi Arabia influencing another part and the Kurds having their own country. Um, that continued into a second series we developed three or four years later called Black Powder Red Earth Syria, which was all about how we thought ISIS was going to become a thing. And when we wrote it, they weren't really a thing. And by the time it came out, they were kind of a thing. Um, and we did that. That series went for a couple of years. Uh, and we all then after that we did Black Powder Red Earth Yemen, which is kind of the the that's like the definitive Black Powder Red Earth series, uh, in that we kind of strayed away from the absolute 100% set in reality. We started to do, um, I don't know how to explain it, like sort of more like a dramatic elements in the storyline. Uh, like we became known for like like having commandos that wore red t-shirts was one of our things. We wanted to have like a more striking look to the book. Um, we went to black and white away from color. Um, you know, same kind of very gritty, grim, dark story, um, but self-contained from the other books, which were in themselves self-contained story arcs. But all of this time, we're trying to develop video games, right? Like, like gaming is what we actually started our company at. But what we were good at was we were we were making all this narrative stuff for these other companies, and we were employing a lot of that same knowledge in the the graphic novels. Um, the video games are very hard to do. They took a long time to do, and we only launched our first game maybe two or three years ago, uh, which is a turn-based tactics game, and when we made that game, we were going for in the same way that when the comic book started, it's it's almost like we're going for almost a uh, what's the word documentary sort of way of approaching tactics on a battle space. Um, in the same way that our, our earlier book was almost a documentary, it wasn't really a comic book or a story in a conventional sense. Like I was super into the Battle of Algiers as a film, which you know doesn't really have any character arcs. It's it's just a sort of sequence of events that happens with people traveling through them, and. That is like where we're at today now is this new series, Black Powder Red Earth Albari. Black Powder Red Earth Albari is set like 10 years or five to, five to 10 years after the events in BPRE Yemen. And the turn based tactics game is sort of the prologue to that that universe. Now we have a graphic novel coming out, and the 28 millimeter game that we're here to talk about is actually set parallel to that graphic novel series. So that's a okay. very long winded answer, but it's kind of a, a long story. Well, we noticed. Uh, I have noticed since what, 2011, there has been a shift to try to get more of what we call ultra modern uh, conflicts captured in 28 mil. Start with like force on force and Spectre operations takes a lot of the uh, tier one operator piece of the pie there. So why why the interest in you know if you've been focused on video games, why the interest in doing this in 28 millimeter for a tabletop war game? I mean, we, I mean, I'll let Mike speak to this a little bit also, but Mike, Mike came in to work with me on the video game a couple of years ago because we were trying to make it 
a little bit more game-like. That was some of the initial feedback we were getting is like, this feels too much like a, um, like a, it's more like a training tool. It's not like a game. And I'm like, oh crap, you know, that's what I've been working on for 10 years. So it kind of makes sense. Um, but like to go to 28 millimeter, like there's a lot. So let me step back. There's, there's a bunch of challenges in making video games. Um, the time to actually make a video game is typically measured in years right like it takes a long time we spent over seven years on our first game if you like literally start from the very first pieces of artwork we did on it to the the released product which was you know it came out of early access this year we started working on that in like i think 2015 maybe you know maybe even earlier than that we had other prototypes Video games take a long time to prototype because especially sophisticated games where you have like a bunch of stuff going on um, and it's not just multiplayer and you're letting the, the players provide a lot of the interactions. We spent a lot of time trying to figure out like how do we do things like populated environments? How do we how do we create, uh, you know, all the animations and stuff that are required to work with like these layered systems that actually create the environment that you see when you play a game? Ta tabletop was how we were prototyping a lot of that stuff. Like as a game designer, um, Mike will tell you, I'm maybe not the best game designer, um, but like for me, I love video games, but I, I my first love was really tabletop wargaming. Uh, I mean, I got Space Hulk when it came out in 1989. Like I remember when it showed up at the, the, the one store in New Jersey that had it. And I was like, oh my God, they have Space Hulk. Like I read about it in White Dwarf Magazine. I have to get it. And it was like, I don't know what it was at the time, like 40 or 50 bucks. And in 80, 1989, that was a lot of money. Uh, so I was working my, working like crazy at the time. I saved up the money. I bought the game. Um, I, I'd had the, the, the 40K Rogue Trader book, the hardcover book. But honestly, I'd mostly just bought it for the artwork and, and some of the lore. Like I wasn't really that interested in learning another gaming system at the time. Um, but like with Space Hulk, I'm like, oh, this is a, a set number of miniatures. It's like a, it's a preset battle space. And like, we can buy the box and we can play, right? Cause at that point, that was the first plastic minis too. Everything before that was metal. Um, so, so ever since then, I mean, there's always been a part of me that loves tabletop wargaming. It was, I didn't play it constantly. But like, because it was so niche, right? Like like in the 80s, it was difficult to find people to play with. There was one other kid in my high school who even knew what Warhammer 40K was. And we 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 both had Space Hulk. We both had Deathwing. And, you know, we would make our own crazy maps from the tiles and stuff. But like, you know, pushing forward, I, I always bought the books, but it wasn't really until, um, I don't know, like five, six years ago that... Uh, that when we were prototyping the video games, we start to figure out, oh, if we make board games of these things and start prototyping them that way, development's going to be way faster because we can work out maps. We can work out, you know, mechanics. We can do this much quicker on a tabletop than we can by, like, just writing out a bunch of notes in a book and see, let's try to implement that and see if it's good. Um, so it was kind of an inevitable thing to come back to 28 millimeter. Um because that's what we've basically been doing for the past five, six years anyway. Um, you know, and I would also say from a production standpoint, it's much easier for a company like us who are we're sort of a craftsman driven like design shop. It's much easier for us to actually do work that competes with the best AAA stuff you can get on the market now in tabletop than a video game. Because 
we spend a lot of money to develop this game, right? Like, like we, we didn't take Kickstarters. We didn't take anybody else's money. We, we kind of risked the farm to, to put this sucker out, uh, because we have so much confidence in it and we think it's such a great game. Uh, but for us to do that in, in the world of a video game, you're talking about a hundred, $150 million, right? We were able to do this for under probably under a hundred thousand dollars, $200,000 at the most, um, which is a lot of money, right? Like that's our money. Like that's the money we've earned over the years that we had in our bank. And we, we dumped it into this product, you know, like it's a, it's a serious commitment, right? Like to like see your bank account go from being like, Oh, I can give bonuses to everybody this year for Christmas to like, Jesus Christ, I hope we sell these, these freaking games so I can give people bonuses for Christmas. <laughs> okay. So that I, have to admit that is kind of unique. I've never seen anyone take like, well, these were just maquettes for you know to plan for a video game, and you know what? We've got our own game in physical form. Why don't we just sell that? Well, the um, the twenty eight millimeter game is very different from the video game. They're entirely different systems. This was developed from the ground up to be a very fast PvP game. Uh, the video game is all PVE. Um, it has, you know, an AI system that's kind of difficult to game out in person. Um, so, you know, playing that won't give you a good impression of what this game is. Okay, well, let me let me ask you about, since you're launching your new game, how, how would you describe the theme and the feel of the game? Is this going to be like um, a flavorful narrative beer and pretzels game? Or is this going to be, you know, targeting like that tournament crowd, like the Infinity, um, the Warhammer 40k guys? I would say that this is more of a beer and pretzels game. Um, there's the possibility for things to just go entirely wrong based on dice rolls. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of flavor baked into it. One of the things that we're coming into this with is all the lore and research built up that really sets us apart from you know, a lot of the other tabletop games out there, especially Ultramoderns. So we're selling a kind of cohesive experience that includes some narrative and, you know, it, it isn't just a blank slate of a system. Well, so since you have the graphic novels behind this, is this going to be um, a, simu a simulation type game? Or is this more of where you're trying to set the mechanics to capture like a cinematic feel like capture like you're you're one of the people in the graphic novels that you just read so you've crossed over you're playing the game and when you're playing the game you know it's not like a sandbox exercise like with j8 or something this is i feel like i'm on um one of the teams here and i'm playing out the action so i wouldn't say that it's it definitely leans more towards a um, a cinematic feel, but there's a lot of realism baked into it, despite not having a lot of complexity to the system. If that makes sense. I think I think something that that I'm gonna jump in for a second. Um, when you say simulation and sandbox, you know, coming from the background of actually having developed training for 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 units that are going and doing this kind of work right i've been doing this for almost a decade um there is no such thing 
as uh, what you just said, a simulation, right? Like that's, it's not possible to do that. You can only simulate certain aspects of what, what it entails go, you know, doing this, these kind of missions. Right. Um, and to me, th this was like a big, this was a big challenge. You know, Mike mentioned that our turn-based tactics game is very different from this. He's absolutely right. To simulate what I consider to be important after spending a decade doing this is completely different than what I think most game designers, if not all game designers who have no actual experience or time on the ground doing any of this stuff or build it, building the systems to train people to do this stuff, they are picking all the wrong stuff if you want to deal with reality. Like it's a fantasy. Like I, I used to say this to it was a, a common common uh critique of our earlier game is like, why don't you have Overwatch? I'm like, well, do you have a move in chess where you can suddenly stop the other player and, and kill his piece before he kills yours? Because you didn't move it? No. Because that's you're now you're now taking away the actual challenge of the simulation, which is like I am thinking uh about procedures to defeat an opponent. Right. Like and that's why BPRA, the original BPRA is, is, is I would say, is it more the some of the critique of it as a training tool versus a game is actually valid because it. We didn't we didn't want to make something that was um, cinematic, for lack of a better word, but I, I prefer Bruckheimer. Right. Like, oh, it, you know, does it re like do we do our units in this game? Do we use a class system? Yeah, th this game is based more around a conventional infantry uh, fire team, like how the systems are set up and how actual infantry units are structured. The it, it, which is which is real, right? Like like you have classes that make sense. And like Battlefield uh, is a video game that kind of sort of does that. It's an approximation of like they're modeling certain realistic elements without making a realistic experience. The thing about if, this, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, no, go ahead, Mike. If um, if you look at a lot of what's out there right now for ultramodern, a lot of them really hyper fixate on granular details that, to be frank, don't really matter at all. Um, things about like individual units, inventories and stats. Um, we wanted to focus entirely on just the kind of tactical details of maneuver warfare you know, positioning. Um, I mean, that's really what a lot of the game comes down to. I was pretty heavily influenced by X-Wing coming into this. Um, I just wanted a game that's focused on how you use your units rather than just min-maxing small details about them. Well, then, let me, then let's look at some of these mechanics. Um, are you using dice mechanic, card mechanic? Um... How are you capturing that in like the prob the in the probability distribution? Is this a D6 system, a 2D6, a D10? Um, do you have like action cards, tokens? How does that uh, work? This is a D10 style system. Uh, units have uh, defined lines of sight um, rather than 360 like they do in a lot of skirmish scale games. Um, you know, we have critical mits and misses and hits for a lot of different units. Um, save rolls are generally pretty difficult to win. Um, John, do you have anything to add? Well, um, uh, yeah, I, I, 
So, so there, it, it, I feel like I can't answer that directly without answering four other questions. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it, 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 it's it's a it's a complicated thing, right? Yeah, yes, it's a D10 system. Yeah, it, we're 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 layer we're using what I would consider to be more traditional game game mechanics, um, cards, you know, um, that that give you special actions, if you will. Uh, we're using D10 system, but it's not. It's not like every unit rolls the same dice, you know? We have different weapons that roll different dice based on different conditions. Um, so infantry fighting is a... All infantry fighting is is the, the decisive and correct application of fundamental principles. Marksmanship and maneuver, individual movement techniques, IMT. That's what this game models, and that, that's what we call it in the uh, the actual training world, right? Um, this system is is an amalgamation of like all of those different components. Like as as we were developing this, you know, this is like the fifth or sixth iteration of this. I mean, Mike probably remembers better than me, but we did everything from creating like games where you moved as elements. So it was like, I think three or four man elements that you were moving around in. Um, we, then we, we, we changed that a couple of times. We went back to like individual units where like, it's almost like a, you know, co-op style game where everybody's controlling their own piece on the board. Um, then we went back to when we ended up with this system, which is more of a, you know, you go, I go, I think is, is how people, that's the, what the young people say. Um, <laughs> The uh, yeah, I'm kind of old, so it's cool. The uh, the the you know, trying to make sure that like the opponent always has a say in what you're trying to do, just like in the real world, and that there's there's opportunity and consequences and risk that have to be managed and decided on every time. Um, my personal favorite multiplayer game. I'm gonna diverge a little bit here. My personal favorite multiplayer game of all time is Return to Castle Wolfenstein's multiplayer, the one that they came out with in, um, I think it was like 2002 or something like that, 2003, Quake Engine game, um, before Enemy Territory. I loved Enemy Territory, but I loved Return to Castle Wolfenstein because it had a, a very, the, even though even though it was like kind of an artificial class system, it really gave you a decent military structure to go and prosecute attacks based on objectives versus just like, Hey, I'm just killing all the other guys or I'm capturing a flag. Right. Like they, they created context for what you were doing. Right. Like it's like, Oh, I'm storming the beaches of Normandy. I'm blowing up a vital radar installation in, 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 um, in France, you know, right before the invasion, it, it's, it's these like sort of commando missions that make sense using sort of common game tools. So yeah, we have a D 10 system. Absolutely. Um, we roll multiple dice depending on the weapons. Uh, there is a crit-seeking system as well because, like, uh, when we're dealing with the ranges that we're dealing with in BPRE 28 millimeter, we're talking about a 50 50 yards or in. You barely have to be able to aim to hit somebody at 50 meters or in, right? Like, like I'm not sure if you're, you're you, I mean, you'd mentioned you had some of your background, but like. You know, like as somebody who's trained with marksmanship and like CQB and like, you know, small unit tactics and like dealing with like battle spaces at to two and three hundred meters, because um, beyond two and three hundred meters, we're typically assuming that that's a, another asset is going to deal with that problem. It's not going to be us because we are a combined arms army, right? We're not just the infantry element. We're an infantry element layered with vehicles, layered with, you know, helicopters and drones, layered with freaking rail guns from space battleships and, you know, all of that good stuff, right? Like, we, we, we go all the way down from a, from a handgun all the way up to, like, you know, nuclear missiles. Uh, 
So we're only focused on that contained area, that 50 to 100 meter contained area. And for, for this game, we ended up keeping it at a 50 meter area, um, which allowed us to not deal with like artificial constraints that we talked about before. There's no more things of like, oh, the, the range of your weapon is this. Every single guy I know in, who has a job like this can get a, 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 a an effective shot on our target after 50, at 50 yards or they wouldn't be there. Every single guy I know who's fought like ISIS or, or a, some similar type group, a Taliban, um, Al-Qaeda, Haqqani network, um, fill in the blank, right? Like whatever ISIS affiliates out there right now, Boko Haram, like, hey, those guys can fight, right? Like the, the, the guys who couldn't fight are dead. Now they may they may strap on some suicide vests and they may have some local dudes they like push out in front to soak up some of that gunfire so that they can maneuver around you and, and try to try to open up a flank on your your force. But that's built into our game. Like just like Wolfenstein was an asymmetric game where there was an attacker and a defender and there was like specific classes that could support or um, or, or, you know, that could support different warfighting functions. Uh, this game, 28 millimeter, very specifically has a lot of those same things built into it. So trying to get a balance of like what is meaningful in terms of warfighting uh, ability capabilities and decision making and and uh, and building that into a system that is more familiar and less controversial than say our initial title which was again just kind of like hey it's an isometric game but everything else you knew is wrong you know giant middle finger that that wasn't maybe the be- that wasn't maybe our best strategy um the, the what what we've developed on this title you know as mike says we 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 thought about pvp we thought about it on the board from the very get go um and I, the, you know, it, it's a great, it's a great thing. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a quote from a guy I know who's, who's won. He's like actually led soldiers and won battles, which is a very different perspective than some dude who was like, you know, Hey, I was a mechanic at the 101st, right? Um, like a guy who's actually gone in and has been tasked with like, I have a bunch of dudes from my country, from this local country. They're not even Americans, right? I have like five Americans for like 50, 50 local nationals. I will now turn these guys into a fighting force and I will actually feel that fighting force and I will go out and defeat and destroy my enemy based on commander's intent. And I could do that over and over again. So what are the things that were important for me to train these guys on? Hey, they're all. if one guy has a PEC-15 versus an LA-5 versus a D-Ball A-3 versus an NGAL, that really doesn't matter that much. You know, it's like, did he have an EOTech or an aim point or an LPVO or, or blah, blah, blah? No, it doesn't matter. I mean, it like I was even told once it doesn't even matter if any of my guys or guns are zeroed. I put them in the right place and I set it up at the right time. I will win. I will win against better trained men every single time because your training doesn't matter. Your equipment doesn't matter. All war is not fair. And our game is designed to position you to make war not fair for the other guy you know if you're playing correctly if you're using the 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 the, if you're using the battle space if you're applying your forces correctly based on like how do i open flanks how do i how do i um approach targets how do i you know enter and defeat targets as necessary to complete an objective once you have that dialed in the only thing that's going to really matter if you're playing against a skilled opponent is going to be like those those individual decisions, those tactical decisions. And the fact is that like if I give some dude an AK-47 and I give somebody like a uh, uh, like like I don't know what's a nine millimeter an MP5 uh, and I give some dude an M4, if they're all trained to the same level of proficiency inside of 50 yards, they're all going to be equally lethal with that weapon. And the only thing that's going to stop those rounds is armor. 
which is why we oh. have save rolls. <laughs> so let me ask you, based on your description of like what you're trying to capture there, um, how many models are we talking about in this game, and what's the play area? Because the way you're describing it, at 28 mil, 28 millimeter, you're probably talking what a two by two play area with about that. How how many models on each side? Because normally a lot of these games, like let's take Spectre Operations or Battle Space, is normally well you have like a small force of like tier one guys and then just wave after wave of people who throw themselves on um, against you and like it just becomes a numbers crunching game. Um, what? But it seems like are you taking a different approach to that? Yeah, absolutely. Mike Mike can definitely speak to that. Yeah, typically um, the Cold Harbor. American-backed force will have around four to six guys. You can go up to about eight within the um, the points that are allowed by the default taskings. Um, the ARE guard, the opposing force, generally has somewhere between like 12 to 15. Uh, I think the highest you could probably go up is about 20. Uh, we've tested up to 30, actually, just using their, um, their poorly trained militiamen fa- um, unit and you know, it's still pretty balanced. <laughs> okay, how how long are you thinking about one of these games would take to play? What's like your average gameplay time, given like um, what you just laid out? Like the um... on average, once everyone knows the rules, about thirty to forty-five minutes. Okay, so you've got a low model count, quick play time, and small area to play in. The game so this... is also um, very high lethality, so. Oftentimes, by the uh, end of like the second turn, half the units on the board will be wiped out. <laughs> you know that that is always the thing I I think people struggle with to capture in a game is just how bad it is to get shot. Because like when you play Warhammer, it's like well I can take round after round after round, but when you try to transfer that over and play Ultra Moderns, a lot of people say well why, why can't my guy take five rounds? There's only so much a sappy plate can handle. Yeah, there's uh, that doesn't really carry over to this. Um, for the American forces with their level four plates, there's about a ten percent chance that uh, it'll block any hit. Uh, with the ARE guard and their Chinese level three armor, I think it drops down to like about three percent. Okay. Now, does that uh, vary based upon range? Like how much kinetic energy the round would have when it hits the plate? Like, no, so I mean, shooting from the, farther away. that's one of the details where we felt it wasn't really worth, uh, you know, baking it into the system. It's already, uh, there's already such a low chance of saves. I mean, there's other things that could happen. You could get shot somewhere else. Um, you know, uh, our criticals are headshots that just kill you through your armor. <laughs> it, it's just a detail we wouldn't w- really want to get bogged down with. Okay. I, 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 I totally agree with him. Like, like if, if you have plates on like good plates like the kind that like because not everybody gets plates in the game right only the people who matter do um the uh those people are going to have a round uh, i mean if you're wearing plates it's going to be designed to defeat the opponent's round right you're not going to have and and it doesn't matter if i shoot you with good plates i mean anything past like five yards i mean it it's not going to matter. Like the plate is either going to stop the round or it's not. And we we model that into the um, 
we model because because it's when you're shooting somebody. There's an old saying: if it's worth shooting once, it's worth shooting a couple of times, right? Um, so like when we're modeling a shot, it's not like literally pew. It's not just one shot. Hey, I'm hitting somebody with seven to ten rounds, right? Like that's what we're modeling every time somebody takes a shot. It's not like and it's. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. E even if you do pass the save roll, it's still fairly catastrophic. That unit is out of play for the rest of the turn. Um, and if they get shot again, they don't get a save roll. Yep. Which 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 works out great, right? Like, because that's what would happen if you're lying on the ground. It's not like a martial arts movie where they're waiting for their turn. They're like, oh, he's down. Everybody shoot at the guy who's on the ground, right? He's an easier target. You know, one of us is going to hit him. Well, you brought out the the point. You made that comment that only the people with plates are only the people that matter. So is this a squad? Are you controlling these guys as a squad? No, um, or are you controlling them individually? Um, individually. Well, both factions have individual. It's I, that IMT level of control, the individual movement technique, right? Like they're fault. You're you're the squad leader, uh, or you're the team leader, right? Like you're you're giving out your orders to your dudes. They're executing them correctly. There's no morale checks. We don't. I mean, that's another one of those artificial things. Like it doesn't really exist in the real world. Like when you're fighting committed people, they don't like because they see somebody get shot, they don't stop. Right. Like like it's like if anything, it's like, aha, you know, like if, if you've got that religious fervor, that's going to pump you up even more. If you've got the like dedication to duty in your brothers, it's going to be like, I'm not letting another one of my guys get killed. Right. Like it goes both ways. So uh, it is individual units. And um, what Mike said about there being like the s different scales of, of, of units on the board, that's by design. Right. Like you can choose to play the opponent faction, the IRE network, which is also the Hongbin faction, if you've read the rule book, um, you can choose to play them almost as a conventional force that can match the Cold Harbor teams almost one for one. Or you can go the other way, which is like, I'm only going to put a couple of advisors on the ground and then I'm going to have a horde of my, my local nationals and foreign fighters that I am pushing into the, to the, the Cold Harbor guns to soak up that fire. And then that gives me freedom to maneuver and close and destroy the enemy. And um, getting back a bit to moving as an individual or as a squad, given that this is only taking place on probably roughly like a 50 yard by 50 yard area, um, and you're only controlling a squad to section um, size force, we just assume they can coordinate effectively within that small area. Uh, we don't artificially force you to keep units together in a squad, um, although Oftentimes, just the way that the rules work, you are better off having several units giving a base of fire, several units flanking. Okay, yeah, that was the idea. Is like you might, there might be a trade-off in the game. So that's what I'm imagining. Of like staying together would have certain benefits to being near each other, but there might be a value of sending one guy off by himself. Um, but you know, in any miniature wargaming, both players have. A god's eye view of the table so do you have something to do like a fog of war like you can't see what the other person's doing or how the other person's um stacking their miniatures or is it considered that you're in such a you know 50 100 yard area you'd actually know where everyone is at all times not just um being in such a small area but because of the proliferation of isr assets in the area you know uh, drones in cold harbor's case and um you know cameras and other surveillance systems in um in hongbin's case um we don't really have a fog of war the only exception is we have a qrf mechanic where the defending player for a given tasking can hold some of his points back 
and select what units to bring into the game later on uh, without oh. exposing what they are beforehand. All right, so that, that leads me since you have a lot of this game matched up to the um, graphic novel universe that you have out there and you're mirroring a lot of stuff. And when you buy the game, is there like a scenario and campaign section to the book to kind of like recreate um, some of the, what you find in the graphic novels and like campaign rules and like the effects of one game will carry over into the next game? Uh, yeah, there is. We have a campaign system called Night Raid. So because the individual matches are so short, like I said, 30 or 45 minutes, um, it's designed to be played in um, varying varying lengths of three to five, up to seven uh, different matches, where you play one or two or three matches for the infill phase of a Scorch operation. This is where the... Um, the American-backed force is running a cross-border raid into a country that's fomenting terrorism in the country they're working for. Um, you do one action on the target, and then you do three exfills. And depending on who wins each one, they get rewards and/or points towards a, uh, you know, an overall strategic victory goal. And it's meant so you can kind of do all of that in one sitting, ideally. Okay. You know, now, playing for two to three hours like you would with a typical uh, war game instead of just a single 30 or 45 minute match. Well, that's what I was wondering if you could actually, because that's one of the tough parts when you play some of these skirmish games is like, can you do a whole campaign in one night? Like, if I if I line the stars up right, because I know playing campaigns in a group that spans more than one day, um, getting everyone to show up a second time is uh the big challenge right and that's part of the reason that we've uh, kept the length of the campaigns modular okay now is there a co-op or solo play since that's been a hot topic uh in the last two years not on launch that's something we'd like to explore okay now let's talk about we've mentioned this game but um how about we get into like where can I go to find it? Because I think I first heard about it on Facebook of like, hey, there's this rule set on Amazon right now. And normally when a new 28 millimeter game comes out, you hear about it on Kickstarter. So you guys already, I think from the beginning said that, you know, you stake to that this game's going to work. So I know you've got some launches coming up. Could you explain like, how do I get into this game? Um, well, the easiest way to pick up everything is uh, go to 28millimeter.blackpowderredearth.com. And um, there we basically – so we, we have photos of all the packages that we're offering, um, all the different components. I mean basically we have three sets. You have the Get Everything, which is a rule book, a set of Cold Harbor minis, and the all the battle space components, which are pictured on the site. And that's the biggest package. It's 200 bucks. Uh, we have a small unit tactics set that does not include the rules, which is $175. And then finally, we offer just the standalone uh, minis for 65 bucks a set. That okay. is the best way to get into it. Uh, the component, I mean, do you absolutely need the components? Probably not. I mean, they're really nice to have because we actually have maps that we've designed um this is that i mean that was kind of a big thing from the get-go when we were designing the game is something i i find frustrating that i don't understand why other games don't do this is 
when I get a new game, like especially a video game, a big part of the experience is, is the gunplay, but a big part of the experience is the maps, right? Everybody's always talking about what's your favorite map, right? So why why wouldn't people produce maps for their games? So that was a, a big part of when we were developing the system. It's like we need maps that actually give you different challenges using the same structures to provide different kinds of play right some we we i think we include six terrain pieces and there's but some of the maps only use five of them um that that's kind of like a a really important part of this game so i don't know i they're also incredibly expensive to produce because they're all made in usa um i mean our, our our costs on this are shockingly high essentially on the components we make zero dollars on them when we sell them <laughs> that that's why we don't offer them as a standalone because the the price for them as a standalone is so high that i was convinced nobody would buy them i mean essentially when you're buying these packages we're giving you the components for free well i think that's um i have a preference on this channel to find you know the small companies that do everything in the u.s and i think you're the third that i found so far yeah and, and we, we've done that for everything we've made really i mean we did some collaborations with arcteryx uh, a few years ago uh we've done like three or four pieces with them um and uh those were not made in the usa because arcteryx does not make stuff in the usa but they were making their stuff in like places at the time uh were uh, they had a lot more control, at least at, at that period, over where their stuff was being made. I think most of it was South America is where they were making it, maybe Philippines for one of the pieces. But um, but yeah, like we wanted we wanted like you know soup to nuts, uh, you, you know all those stuff that people talk about, right? Which is like, hey, I want to make sure I care about the environment, I care about people getting paid what they're worth, I care about like um, I care about uh. You know, I, I want the people who make these games to be able to, you know, have a good life, like that they're not killing themselves. Well, I mean, th that's what we that's what we did, right? Like we actually we delivered on that. You know, and we we have accountability for all, where all of our materials that they make our component our game stuff with is sourced. We have accountability for where every single thing is produced. I I literally go to the factories slash print shops where they're making all this stuff and pick it up. You know. Um, with the exception of the minis, which are mailed to us from, I think, Texas. Uh, but, but like, you know, that was the only way to do it right. Because as soon as you start stepping into Asia, um, and I know this from having been in manufacturing for like 10 years with equipment and other things, as soon as you step outside the U.S. or like a couple of European countries like England, Italy, Germany, the accountability for your supply chain completely di disappears. People don't know where the stuff even comes from, right? Because – there's no way that nobody ever asks that question because the the question the customer asks so often is like how cheap can I get it right versus my question is like how can I make how can I make something with integrity that's of high quality and then compensate all my people accordingly who are involved in the process because we had if I let me think real quick we have uh, we have like four partners on the outside who are helping us with the manufacturing of the various components. And the actual team who did like the sculpting of the minis, the design of the boards, the design and the execution, the art and the book, you know, the, the game design, it's like a seven or eight man team, you know, uh, that I, that we're, we're, we're paying over the course of like, you know, two years, three years, however long we were working on this specific iteration to get this stuff all done. And, and honestly, we had like on every one of these things, we had to do them like four times to get them right. Like trying to get the miniatures made. 
the guy that we ended up working with who we love and came up with what I think is the perfect balance for like durability um, and detail. He, he, he had never done any figures like this before. We actually went to other people who were sculptors who had done stuff uh, in the modern space before. And like, we've just, you know, in some cases they weren't, they weren't getting back to us. They had things come up in their lives, but ultimately, you know, in terms of reliability and like making things happen, it was like, we ended up with an American artist, you know? Uh, in fact, the only person on this project who is not working, who was, who wasn't an American was uh, Kai Lam, who is the artist. He, uh, he did some of the pieces inside of the 28 millimeter book. Uh, some of the sort of like chapter screens, if you will. Okay. Well, you know, I was looking at, so I, I've actually got the website out right now. And cool. for you saying like responsibly sourced, made in the USA, you know, when you're used to paying games workshop prices, your prices actually seem kind of low to actually have all that like responsibility baked in. But I'm looking at um, your miniatures right now. And I actually have next to me the Black Powder Red Earth uh, Spectre miniatures ones right there, mm-hmm. which are the old hand sculpts. Yep. So looking at these ones, you can tell like, these were done in 3D. Um, yep. ZBrush. Like ZBrush probably. Yeah. Yep. ZBrush. They have that effect to them. Um, and they're cast in resin. Um, now, looking at it, how, how do you decide which uh, miniatures to make? Because I'm looking at it, you have the um, you have the Cold Harbor guys. Um, how do you go about doing the um, the opposition force? Uh, What's your well, recommendation on that? So I, I buy this set. I've got mm-hmm. my Cold Harbor guys, and these are outstanding, especially when you compare them like the older hand sculpts. Um, the resin, which no, means I can work with them a little bit easier. Um, how do I do the op for? Well, there, there's a couple of different ways. Now, um, there are people. I'm not a 3D printing guy. Um, there, if you if you are a 3D printing guy or a gal or whatever. Um, there's 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 a, there are other factions, uh, other companies making stuff out there. In fact, uh, one of those companies is currently very graciously allowing us to use some of their uh, their STLs to to basically produce um, op for packages so we can actually do demos with this thing, because there's other companies that we've approached and said, hey, we want to do a demo. We don't have our bad guys done yet or our op for whatever you want to call them. Um, and they said no. You know, like they don't want us to use their stuff, uh, which I was surprised by because I figured, yeah, you know, we're 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 the the reason we didn't come out with the the Hongbin IRE network guys at at front, quite frankly, was we ran out of money. We had we had no more we had no more funds to um to produce this beyond where we currently were. Uh, this is sold enough. We've commissioned. Uh, we've actually commissioned 30 more minis. Uh, we've already got bandwidth to do them uh, starting in, I think, March is the first set. And we're doing we're going to start work on the second set, I, I'm hoping, for June. Um, we're hoping that the March set will be the initial Hongbin, Hongbin IRE network package. And we're trying to have that available by, I think, May or June. So six months. It is a little bit of time to wait. Uh but there's other alternatives, and and unfortunately, um, I don't think we can actually recommend other people's stuff right now because I'm I'm afraid that if we do, somebody's going to call me and yell at me uh, based on the number of people who told me no. Well, you know, th- I mean, I come from a world where I've gotten cease and desist letters for like gr- glancing past somebody's patent 
And it's like, oh, you know, like I don't want to spend the money to go to court and fight. So the last thing I want to do is like mention somebody's equipment and say, hey, I love their miniatures. They're great. You should play them with our game. And then I get a cease and desist letter and a damages letter that we're detracting somehow from their game because we're trying to position their stuff is our stuff and we have a competing product and competing rule system and blah, 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 blah. So um, I'm going to give a very noncommittal uh, – Mike, what's the name of the company that let us to use use their minis for these uh, these analog pieces for the demos? Um, I believe it's uh, Turn-Based Miniatures. I, th I think you're right. No, let me I've look. heard about it. Yeah. yeah. I've heard uh, of that company. We were referred to them by somebody who does some painting for them, and and they seemed very cool about it. That was fantastic. So we could say that they're 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 good to go. Um, but like that's about the only one we can even talk about right now because they've literally given us written permission to to do so. <laughs> I I know it sounds silly, but like it's a contentious world out there, and people feel very threatened by like what we're doing. I think. Um, and okay, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that. Like we really don't see ourselves. I mean, at least at least from my perspective, I don't even see like most of these other systems as competitors because we're not trying to do what they're trying to do. Like what you get out of playing, say, Skirmish Sangin is going to be a completely different experience than what we've produced. Right. Like I'm not I'm not trying to like model all the stuff they are or I should say we that's not not even I. Right. Because I'm not not the person who made this game as part of an, a group of people who put this thing together over two years. And none of us could have done this alone. Uh, we all appreciate from very critical perspectives, uh, trying to do something that was really unique and was a game that, for me at least, brought me back to like what I loved about Space Hulk, right? Unforgiving close quarters combat, you know, like infantry fighting, like that. That's this, and, and in our graphic novels, honestly, that's kind of a lot of what we're known for. Is like you pick up a BPRA book, um, our comics. Uh, oh wait a minute. Turnbase Miniatures. I think it was Turnbase actually was the name of the company. Yeah, Turnbase. Turnbase is the name of the company that that said good to. Was that the one Mike said before earlier? My brain is a yeah. seat. Yeah. yeah, Turnbase. Okay, so that confirmed <laughs> that. Yay. Um, but yeah, like we're 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 going for something that's that's kind of a unique experience here, right? Like like there's no point in making stuff that to me there's no point in making something that's a mirror or a smart like a minor modification on what somebody else has done. I want to do different things. I want to change the conversation. Like the you know when somebody plays this game, I want them to like know that like oh wow this was kind of a unique experience and even how we approached it. Like Mike said, we have the night raid thing and that it's a scalable campaign and that we're including maps and it you know like. I want it to have the best parts of video games and I want it to have the best parts of tabletop war games. And I want to bring those together in something that gives me a truly exciting package. Um, I mean, one of the guys who tested this game, he was a, a Marsoc Marine and uh, he likes video games, big Halo fan, um, like Call of Duty, all of that good stuff. But he never he never got into tabletop games, really. It was just not his thing. Uh, he, he ordered a complete target package the other day and said that like when he tested this game it was the first the first time he ever played a board game tabletop game in his entire life that actually got his like blood pumping like he was really hooked into it uh because because the battle system really as mike mentioned is very unforgiving like every time you make a mistake the game is going to let you know in the fact that it's going to pile a bunch of your dudes dead on the ground right and it's going to do it very quickly because 
if you, and especially in the risk, I can tell you during testing, there's times where I'll have like one of my, my dudes and I see a bunch of, of Sherta, which are the sort of like, they're your grunts for the IRA network coming at me. And I'm like, I have to make a decision. Am I going to try to pop one of these guys now? Or am I going to hope that they all miss when they take a shot at me so I can nail them all when it's my turn, right? Like, or am I going to move out of the, the line of fire? Am I going to maneuver in a way that reduces my risk for my unit? That's so incredibly valuable to me. Cause I only have a certain number of units and this guy can expend these guys. It's not a big deal. If I shoot one or two of his dudes, it's like, it's like having a queen sacrificing your queen to knock out five pawns. It's a bad move. Right. Um, that's the kind of decision-making you have to have. And, you know, you see that in, in like any kind of infantry tactics, right? Like, Hey, you got a base of fire element is a machine gun. You protect that machine gun, right? Because you lose that machine gun, you lose your base of fire, you lose your ability to flank. Hey, that 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 was that was not worth giving that guy up for whatever we just gained. Because now I no longer have the ability to really maneuver with anything other than carbines, right? Or rifles or, or whatever I'm using. Maybe a grenade launcher if I'm lucky. Uh, so so that like from the the very get go, from the very root of this system, it is risk, right? Mitigating risk. What did J.D. Podinsky say to me once? You know, infantry infantry combat is is not about making the right decision. It's about picking the best of five bad decisions and like knowing which one is going to be right because you're going to kill some of your men almost every time, no matter what. Fighting a capable opponent, you're killing one of your guys when you give them an order, probably. Well, since you're trying to do something so different and some of the issues you've lined out about, like, you know, the challenges with doing miniatures for an op for, why didn't you go the Kickstarter route? That seems like what that platform was made for of like, hey, selling something up front to fund the development cost. Um, why, did, why did you make that conscious decision? Um, well, there's two things, right? So I think we're probably going to be having to do a Kickstarter later this year because I want to do a full starter box later this year if I can. And that'll have new minis, an expansion, wh whatever else we're going to plan to do. And that's, that's my goal, right? Assuming that this is successful, we want to move ahead with that. Just for your, your own essay and your listener's essay, the cost of putting out a complete box with a with a quality box like you would get from, like, say, a starter kit from, say, GW uh, with dice, you know, and again, we're sourcing everything in America, right? Dice, cards, um, uh, terrain components, you know, game chits, miniatures for, for two factions. The raw cost of that will probably be about two hundred and seventy five dollars. So we're going to have to sell that product for over five hundred dollars to actually pay everybody who has worked on it. Cause I'm just talking about 275 as a manufacturing cost. That is something that we might have to Kickstarter because the cost of making like even two or 300 sets of a $275 package, we're now in the 70, $80,000 range, right? We're talking about like money beyond what, what is even in my cash reserves at this point to produce. But I want it like for me personally, I don't want to ask for money from people unless I really need to ask for money for people. Like I work for a living, right? I have a lot of pride as a craftsman. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for handouts. I'm not looking for charity. Um, I believe in what I'm doing. I have integrity as a man. Um, I will put my, I will put my cards on the table. I will commit to this because I believe in it. You know, I don't, again, I, I just don't like going to people with my handout. I feel like, I feel like that's not something that I need to do. 
unless I really need to do it. Like, you know, again, if we're going to, if people want to invest in the package we're talking about, like I would love to be able to do a box. That's literally a Pelican case with pre-cut foam for every one of my dudes. And you have the miniatures individually bagged and the biodegradable plastics and all the stuff that we did for this game. Every component is like in a die cut part of foam. It's ready for you. You take it out. The experience of opening the thing is like hot damn. This really feels like I got a complete, like it's like a deployment kit, right? Like it's got everything in it. I'm ready to go play battles, blah, blah, blah. And it's got room for me to put my other 20 or 30 miniatures. So, cause there is flexibility in, in customizing your, your units, like your, your force structure. Um, I want to give somebody a box that's that badass that like it, that, that like, you know, on the, on the scale, of, like the first time you like open, like some kind of luxury product where it's like, Jesus Christ, these guys went all out and made something that like nobody else did. And they, they did it with my help, right? Like I'm part of this, like, that's a different story, right? What I'm offering right now, I think it would be disingenuous to do that personally from my, my own, my own ethical sort of like personal code, if you will. Right. No, I have to say I, I am intrigued by the Pelican case idea because what you've described from the game layouts with the two by two and the small miniature count, that's when I fly, that's the kind of game I want to bring with me. But my greatest fear is someone saying you're going to have to check your bag, take it from overhead storage. It's going to have to be checked into the belly of the beast, the plane. And it's like, that's my biggest fear is that my babies will end up in the belly of the plane or some guy will throw them on the tar tarmac there when they're unloaded from the plane. So the idea of having a Pelican case, that is very appealing to me. <laughs> and it's a made in America product. It's made in Baltimore, like 20 minutes or like two hours from where we're based. Uh, I've been to their facility. I had to yeah. I used to drop I electronics off there for packaging. Oh. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I do a lot of photography, as I mentioned, filmmaking, so I'm constantly traveling with Pelican cases, and Pelicans are, are extraordinarily durable, and they properly protect the things inside, right? So, like, uh, and, and quite frankly, it's there's such a direct association with, like, the military stuff that we're inspired by, and this, like, having a deployment box, it, it seems right to me, you know what I mean? Like, it, like, if I do everything right, and by right, I mean like with absolute integrity and I build everything to the standards that I would expect when I open stuff. Like my QC process on these things is beyond anybody else's. I will reject books for like having a nick in the top of the book. And I will, I will put that in recycling or send it back to the manufacturer and say unacceptable. You know, um, I have a absolute scrutiny on everything I send out the door because if I received it, especially for what I'm charging, I would expect nothing less. You know, and we've we've done that for the entire history of this company. Um, and you, I mean, you could see that reflected in everything we do. Our patches. We we found out one of our patch makers uh, early on had been started moving their manufacturing to China. As soon as we caught wind of that, bam, we were out of there. And we we actually didn't make patches for over a year until we found somebody who was making them in the United States. You know, uh, because because I'm the kind of person that has to have absolute integrity in everything we do. Like. Uh, and we have a Patreon, right? Like we have a, a Discord, and I'm not trying to sell this necessarily. But one of no, the things. No, go ahead. I mean, that's that's what I want to find out because I've seen your Patreon. So I've never done Patreon. I've done Kickstarter to my. You should, you should jump in right now at the maximum level. I think that's <laughs> the way to go and stay there indefinitely. Um, well, we we have a community, right? We have we have a very tight knit, mature community. Um, 
it, it's like important that we bring people in when, to our community and we're not, they're not just customers. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to give guidance to people on our, 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 uh, our discord, like trying to give them like sort of like what moral courage is. Cause a lot of our customers are younger guys, right? They don't, this stuff is like, like they, this is like, they, they not fantasize. That's the wrong word, but they have like, you know, they have like interest in this world. And we're one of the, I think we're the only shop out there that really has a lot of this practical experience to put into this. I mean, I know I've been through some of the hostage rescue stuff and I was told that I'm like one of the only civilians in America who's ever been through these programs, right? Like I was given special privilege to go do things based on other projects I was working with for those people. So we have really unique insights. And when we come and talk to people, like it's been a big thing, like really making people aware of where their products are made. It's like, Hey, you know, do you really want that knockoff product because it's 25 bucks less? Is it really worth the cost? I mean, have you Googled, you know, Uyghur death camp in China? Have you actually looked at what's going on in the world with Taiwan? I mean, are you paying attention to like what's happening out there? Are you con are you unconsciously supporting genocide? You know, like, is it worth it to have that little Chotsky or is it better off to save your money and just buy one thing or two things that are made by craftsmen with integrity uh, who, are, who, are, who are doing all of these things that we, we say are important to us as, you know, Americans with Western values, right? Like we care about like the environment. We care about like the, the quality of life of the people who work for us. We, queer, we care about democracy and, and the, the freedom of ideas, even if we don't agree with your ideas, right? Like if there's a, a, a you know, we have to pay people respect. We can't just like insult them and dismiss them because nothing, you, you never, people never get better. They never can understand where you're coming from if that's their attitude. So BPR as a whole, like one of my reasons for going into 28 millimeter, I, I didn't mention this earlier. When I got back into modeling again, maybe like five, six years ago, I, I forgot how good it felt to make things with my hands. Like what an incredible experience. Like I'm not a mechanic necessarily. Like I could change my own oil, but you know, back in the day, uh, today it, it almost doesn't even make sense. But like I could do things like that, right? Like I had some like skill of like, like repairing things and fixing stuff. Like building things with my hands is like a fundamental part of being a self-reliant person, right? Like, like I, I, I could take the responsibility to fix basic things. Like I can change a tire, right? Like I know how to do it. It's not that hard. Um, but like do most people like, you know, do they even stop to think about that stuff? And like we've tried to like with 28 millimeter, I want to get people doing stuff with their hands again. Right. Like I want to get people making things again and like taking ownership. And maybe you're not the best painter in the world. Maybe you're not the best modeler in the world. But, hey, you made that right. That's yours. That's yours on the table. And like the experience of making that and like picking the colors and putting the things together and like maybe learning to base, like learning how to do these things. That's an experience you don't really get with too many other hobbies, which are so nar like they're, they're virtual and they're very narcissist driven, right? Like it's about me, 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 me. Like look at pictures of me doing this, look at pictures of me doing that. No, it's about like you're creating art. Like we're, we're, this is your ability to make your art, put it on the tabletop and actually do things with art that you've made, right? Like that's a huge thing for an individual to experience. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. I don't even, I barely play these games. I like just acquiring them, painting them, getting ready to go, and they're just held back in reserve. And then I'll move on to the next game, do it all over again. <laughs> just I, I mean, that's I, how it gets laid out in front of me. I, I love kit bashing. I, I don't, I don't, I don't actually play uh, any GW games, but I, I love the models. Um, and I love kit bashing them. Like I have a whole separate from BPRE. I have my own like little Instagram. That's just me and my wife 
you know, we, we have fun. We, we build stuff and we kit bash and we paint it and we experiment. And some of our experiments aren't so good. Some of them are really good, you know, uh, <laughs> but like, but it's the joy of creating things and making stuff. And like, especially in those little fine details, like sitting there and forcing yourself to slow down and control your breathing and have the patience to really do this stuff. And then like, as you get better, like figuring out how to get better, figuring out what, what your style is like. I mean, that's, it, again, it's like, it's like, like I used to love making like Ravel models and Japanese models when I was a kid. I wasn't very good at it, but I loved doing it. Now, now I'm actually much better at it because ironically, because I learned to control my breathing for shooting stuff, you know, like, like now I can really sit there and like get those strokes just right. I know how to regulate and hit strokes on the right cadences of breath and all of that stuff. I mean, it's, a sh it's, it's, it, and it's so satisfying when I put that little tiny guy down and I can see I got every single button, you know? <laughs> well, you know, um, when I sometimes I work with like little kids, try to teach them how to paint miniatures, and I always tell them, move the miniature around the brush. Don't move the brush around the miniature. Mm. Like that old um, when you're doing manual of arms, uh, move the rifle around your head. Don't move your head around the rifle. So, you know, as as we talk about um, where BPR is right now, and you've mentioned some about where it's going, um, what's your plans for the future? Like. Are you going to make uh, different sets for each of the graphic novels of BPRE so you can play um, that narrative arc? Um, what's your plans going forward? Uh, I, I mean, for the foreseeable future, we're, we're focusing on the Elbari series, which is our newest series. It's a it's an it's a fake country set set where Libya actually would be. Um, creating a fake nation state allowed us to bring in a lot of different ideas from different conflicts. Like Mike worked very closely with me on the world building for this series, um, and we came out with something that was, I think, very rich with detail that actually informed a lot of what was happening in that world. Uh, so we're we the the current graphic novel series is a ten book arc. We are just starting book two. We probably have four to five more years to finish the current arc because it's not like a twenty five page comic book. Each book is between like eighty and like a hundred pages. Uh, with book with book nine and I think book eight and nine are going to. Eight and nine or seven and nine, depending on I'm still finishing the the tail end of the series, are going to be two hundred pages each. Um, so. There, in the, this is what I was going back to what I was saying. We're really known for detailed action sequences, right? Like BPRE books, when you pick them up, they're not just like uh, uh, corporate comics where it's like tons of word balloons, you know, computerized color, phoned in inks, and some generic story, right? Like, and it's just like a soap opera. Nothing ever changes. BPRE is a beginning and a middle and an end. Every single series has that. Um, so we are laser focused on Obari right now. And we have plans to be in the Albara universe for at least the next five years at a minimum, uh, probably longer because there's a lot of advantages to setting your stuff in a fake world uh, in terms of like being able to bring in different like elements of different conflicts that might create interesting narratives and play, play situations. Uh, I mean, Mike, Mike is kind of like, a regional expert as well at this point <laughs> probably, probably knows more about Libya than anybody else I know who is in North Africa for that matter, uh, other than myself at this point. I mean, the amount that me and him have read about like rare earth elements and how to <laughs> like how to monetize them and like what interests are going on in that region. Uh, th those things, those things are really deep and they have a lot of layers that we have yet to explore. So, um, 
I'm always hesitant to say exactly what we're going to do next, but our goal is to have a expansion pack with new minis. So next year we would love to, the goal is to have at least one set of Hongbin IRE network minis come out by Q2. And then by Q4, and this is the thing we might have to kickstart, I would love to do a proper starter box with 20 new minis for both factions um, and a campaign book and you know whatever 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 other advancements we we can get done in that time i'd love to do physical terrain also it's going to raise the price up but it might be something we look at right uh it it all depends and that's where again kickstarter comes in because it's like hey if we get this much money we can we can we'll just do the same tiles that we already have uh and maybe you don't want those tiles maybe you maybe maybe you can get like a less like you don't have to get that package that has all those components but maybe We'll do a fit. We'll we'll have enough money that we can physically make terrain, and we can actually have like our eight structures. Uh, we have six now. I'm planning to add two more to the mix uh, by Q4 next year. Uh, we could have our eight structures as as actual, you know, resin terrain potentially, and that also gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of like, well, if you don't have the room to move all your resin terrain around, maybe you just want to take your flats, right? And then if you don't want to move, and if you want to, you know, because I know for my game board that I have, like we have one at the office, I would not want to move that. <laughs> like that is a built-in place. That is not going any place, you know? Uh, it was, it was a, it was a, I mean, we had to have that shipped here from England or no, from uh, Netherlands. And I think it was like, I think it was over a thousand bucks to ship it. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, I understand. <laughs> so, so, you know, there, there's, there's some versatility there in terms of, uh, of, of what we can and could do. Um, I know by next year, I'd like to have, at least 20 new minis out. I'd like to have at least two additional structures. I'd like to have at least a campaign book of some kind. And I would, and, and I would like to also have uh, at least two more, maybe three more issues of black powder, red earth, Albari out. Uh, we might, we're, I have a goal to bring back our hyper notes, which we haven't really talked about, but uh, I want to bring our hyper notes back into print also. But again, it's like stuff we print. So it's very expensive. It's like, you know, every time I say, Hey, run 300 of these, that's a $20,000 check. I have to write to somebody to get those. Right. Um, so, so we, again, we could potentially bundle that into the Kickstarter, right? Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll knock these out. Like even with our current game launch, we launched a, 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 li a limited number of prints. It's a beautiful print. It's this, um, it's uh, 34 by 23. So it's like movie poster sized. We got the best archival quality watercolor paper made in the United States, limited number of sheets they make every year. And we got, we were able to get, we were able to secure 28 of them for 28 millimeter. And I think we sold about half of them so far. You know, it's a very expensive print. It's like 280 bucks, including shipping for us. And the, but the cardboard mailer for it is like the cardboard mailer is like an, like half inch thick cardboard, you know, too many issues of things showing up damaged places and like irreplaceable things, right? Like we can't get more of this paper and the print is damaged at this point. I literally couldn't make another one till next year. If I can get some more of the paper when it becomes available. Well, you know, I, I have to admit, stuff with posters, I'm I'm willing to put the money down to ship the poster safely. Yeah. Because there's nothing that aggravates me more. Because Game, Games Workshop does that, where they put the art side facing the sprues. Oh. And so there's all these little pinpricks in all the art. Not on the side with, like, the baller code. That part that it faces the <laughs> books. And it's like, that always bothers the heck of me. It's like, well, I would hang this up, but there's all these little pinpricks that reflect light. And that just bothers the heck out of me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that, uh, that, that does sound incredibly frustrating. Um, we, we actually, we, we, you know, it's funny. 
another thing we did that was kind of crazy this year. We did a coin. Did, has anybody ever done like coins before? Like challenge I, coins? I've um, kill wager. They do a near future, and they're they did a challenge coin, but uh, he was prior service, so oh, that, that's in their that's in their DNA. They love those things. Yeah, we did we did one earlier this year, and we 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 act, it was it was much more of a, once again much more of a challenge than I thought it would be. Like of the of the seven places we contacted about doing coins, only one of them was actually made in America, and only and that was the only guy who could guarantee his materials were sourced in America, and he was the only guy who also didn't do just a a, a zinc covered coin. Most of the people were doing like a, this really kind of like, you know, like it costs five bucks to make it and they can sell it for, I don't know, 20 bucks, whatever it is. Or, my cost per coin was like 25 or 35 dollars. I forget. Um, <laughs> and it's actually so I think we did a we did silver. What do we do? Silver nickel silver is what they call it. So it's a solid silver nickel coin. If you melt it, you actually get, you know, silver out of the thing. It's not just like coated. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we sold out of those in less than 20 minutes. <laughs> We only made a hundred of them. Hey, you know, I, I have to admit, I've, I've run into that problem where I had to order challenge coins and you contact someone in the U S and you give them money. And then when you get the box in the mail, it's like, uh, the from address is somewhere in Shenzhen. Yep. It's like, I, but that's not where I sent my money to. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people, see, this is the thing. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your background is, right? Like your integrity today is what counts. Like there's a great saying among my community uh, or the communities I work with, you know, Hey, uh, you can, you can, you know, a lifetime of attaboys can be like shut down with a single, what the fuck moment. Right. And there are a lot of, a lot of uh, companies out there who source goods in China. And then when you get the product, when you, when you purchase it, you'll notice that there's no maiden label, right? Because apparently there's a, a law that allows you to not have to report accurately where your where your product is sourced from if you're selling D to C. So if you ever get a product that you bought from like, you know, what you thought was an independent company and there's no maiden information, the odds are it came from China. Because that people will just do cheap and make more money every time. Like, you know, and it takes an unusual customer to to actually seek out something of, or maybe not unusual, atypical, right? Because they don't know uh, to actually know to seek out the stuff of this higher quality and craftsmanship. You know, it, it's one of those things that that I mean, I'm not going to take a side really on GW one way or the other, but like I always find it so odd that people complain about their prices, and I think I look at GW stuff and I say like, well, most of their printed materials coming from China, but almost all of their plastic stuff and their packaging on their plastic stuff is all UK. Like they actually built factories and created jobs, probably at a, an enormous risk. Like I can't even imagine how many tens, if not hundreds of millions they've poured into building factories and making them safe for people to work at, at like, you know, British standards, right? Like that is not a minor risk, right? That's a huge risk that they had to to take on to to ensure that you, the player, would get a better quality product. And like whether what wh whatever reasons they're doing it for, you know, whether it's ethical or they just want to deliver higher quality um they're actually doing it right like they're they're going they're going those extra steps to ensure that like 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 they're 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 really putting their money where their mouth is to an extent right like they're actually saying like hey we invested in this infrastructure we built this thing and we're employing british british nationals or europeans or whoever else they hire that lives locally right like lives where their factories are 
we're employing those people to actually make our stuff so we have absolute quality control we have 100 accountability of all our materials and the, the processes that go into producing our stuff that's a huge commitment i mean that's a huge commitment i, I, w- I wish i had the revenue to do that i mean and, <laughs> well you know it's also important to recognize like i literally like i said i got my first gw thing in like 86 or 87 you know they didn't they didn't just get to where they are overnight i mean i remember the first necromunda box and if memory serves, it was literally some some kind of cheap cardboard terrain that you kind of like just sort of like like, uh, I don't know, Jenga together essentially to get it to stand up. Right. Like yeah. it, 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 it doesn't it's not even recognizable by today's standards. They literally built the world that everybody else stands on. Right. Like they built the infrastructure. They built the market. It didn't exist really before them. So, like, I, I look at those guys and think, hey, man, you guys did it right. You know, like whatever you're doing today whatever whatever your positions are whatever your products are your model fitment is second to none it's all made ethically in the uk right like that means they're 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 following uk environmental standards work practices safety standards paying their employees all that good stuff right like they're doing everything right so so when i see i see a lot of videos or people complaining about them it's like oh you know they're so expensive and um I, you know they're they're to capitalist or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, man, you know, get over yourselves. Like this is really <laughs> difficult to do. It's hard. Like, I, I don't think people appreciate how difficult it is to build anything because, you know, and coming back to the miniatures, it's like, you know, I, when we started this company, I went three years without a salary burning through my savings and my 401k. And when I started paying myself in year four, I was paying myself 20% of what I had made before I left my previous job. To, to, to survive. And we got by on that for like four or five years more until we actually got to a point where we could start paying ourselves. I pay myself today half of what I used to make. Like, and, you know, I, I go so far as to like most of my employees are compensated about the same level I am, right? Like I don't take a lot more money than I pay anybody else in this company because I recognize that it's important to have good people here and we're we're very lucky to be able to do what we do, right? Like, I mean, this didn't just happen, right? We got 10 years doing this, um, but like, we're still lucky, right? Like not everybody gets to do this to like even have a chance at their dream. So like this past week, we pushed out this game uh, I was in here. My my staff was on vacation. I gave everybody Thanksgiving week off, not anticipating the huge response we were going to get to this game, which has been great. But I've been doing 14 hours days since Friday of last week. I was in here on Thanksgiving packing orders, you know? <laughs> well, well, you know, like I, I don't like people to have to wait. You know, I feel bad because we're still trying to catch up. You know, we're literally getting product in some cases late from the manufacturers because they can't keep up with our demand. Um so I'm Q- I have people QCing product, putting the Made in USA stickers on it, packing it up, doing a final QC pass, packing it. Somebody runs to FedEx while the other persons are, you know, it's basically me, me and uh, our, our shipping woman here, and we're just knocking it out. We've done, you know, we've done a, a tremendous amount of orders, um, and we're still behind. You know, um, it, it's very challenging. <laughs> it's re- yeah. and it's and it's nerve wracking too, right? Like it's like I was, I've never been so uh, stressed out up to the the release of this game. Like I didn't realize how stressed out I was uh until until we started to sell and like I actually felt like my entire body like deconstruct 
because I had so much tied up in it, like the entire future of my company was tied up in this launch, which is maybe not the best business strategy, <laughs> but like, but like, you know, like, my, like being a man of integrity required me to do that. Right. Like, it, it, right. Like that, I keep saying that word, but it's, it's kind of a big deal for me. Like my word is important. Like my integrity is important. I want, I want to, I, you know, I, I, I put, I, I believe in what we did and I'm showing you how much I believed in what I did by actually committing to this and being here and making this thing. No, I mean, that, that's rare. You you captured that moment from like when you release the dice at the craps tables to when they hit the back wall, mm. like holding your breath, but just doing that for like months at a time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, Mike has been working with us on this system for a couple of years. He can probably speak to it because he's got excellent, what was the phrase? Total recall, perfect, perfect recollection versus <laughs> it's all like fuzzy to me. Like, like I, we won't play the game for a week and I'll forget half the rules. Like, <laughs> you know, well, we, but before we wrap this up, I, I think we could probably go on for a couple more hours here, but <laughs> well, we'll wrap this up by saying if someone wants to find you, find this game, find all your contact content, um, what social networks are you on within the metaverse as created by Facebook? Um, how do how do we go out and find your stuff? Since you're doing it right, how do I make sure my money gets to you? Um, well, you can just start sending PayPal donations to our, our, our <laughs> I, I'm okay with that too. Um, but I, I mean, we're on Instagram, uh, we're on YouTube, uh, we're on Facebook. Um, most mo most of our audience seems to be on um, Instagram and YouTube. Uh, I think a lot of people who buy our products have migrated away from Facebook. We maintain a presence there, but it's mo it's mostly just reposts of what we're doing on um, on uh, on Instagram. And it, it's you know it's really complex. It's Instagram slash Black Powder Red Earth. Uh, we're you know YouTube is the same thing. YouTube slash Black Powder Red Earth. We are not on Twitter. Um, Twitter is way too uh, what's the right word? Terrible. Uh, it's a it's a horrible place and people behave like insanely there. So I, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, so we're not on Twitter. <laughs> uh, we Like I said, we're on Facebook. Not 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 in full force like me. I only have an account there essentially to uh, to maintain the, <laughs> the BPRE accounts there. I, I don't really do anything on Facebook anymore. Um, like, I mean, I mean, I'm on Instagram mostly to like look at cat pictures and model pictures, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh but uh, yeah, I mean, those are the two the two best things. Then our website, blackpatterredearth.com. Um, we're on Amazon uh, also, but like you can just go onto Amazon and type in Black Powder Red Earth and you can see most of our stuff there. Uh, and then the, the last big one is, of course, patreon.com. Uh, we're patreon.com again slash Black Powder Red Earth. And uh, we have a number of tiers. So if you, if you want to just try the stuff out, uh, all we ask is five bucks and that gets you access to actually PDFs of all our graphic novels, our hypernotes, which were the hypernotes were essentially giant conflict Bibles for the Albari stuff that we're doing now. So while they don't actually have gameplay in them necessarily, they are details beyond anything you could ever want about the Black Powder Red Earth Albari universe. Uh, I mean, we even have a full timeline for the series built into it, but again, they're, they're high quality, you know, full like nine by, I think the, the, the page size was like 11 by nine, you know, it was kind of a widescreen format book. Um, and again, we have all of this stuff this is, that you can't get anymore in PDF format. Um, and the game rules are there in PDF format. So if you wanted to check it out and try it and be like, let me see what these rules look like. 
You can go. You can just go look at the PDF. Five bucks gets you access. I mean, it's like a cup of coffee. Are you um, kidding me? That honestly, yeah. for wow, that that is a really low price. Well, we, we well, I want you know, for me, the virtual goods are are a gateway to the real things. Like personally, if I love something, it's not enough for me to just have the PDF version. Like the PDF version is nice to have. But I, I actually want the real book. I, I physically want the thing. Like I don't have a record player, but I buy a lot of music off Bandcamp. And the best way to typically buy music off Bandcamp is to buy vinyl from people because people don't make CDs since, for whatever reason, they're not perceived to have the same value as a as a as a you know long play format record. Uh, so I, I have a I have a bunch of vinyl that I've never ever listened to because I haven't had a record player like I said forever. Um, but like I like physically having the things and like I think that's with BPRE like you can read the, the PDFs or the graphic novels and be like, oh, that's really cool. But half the pages in the books are spreads. So like when you physically have the book in front of you, you really you, you're, you're going to have a very different experience, right? Because there's no way to do spreads on a tablet or like there's no way to do that. And the resolution of physically seeing it in your hands versus on screen, even with a 4K screen you are you are losing a lot, right? Physical printed work is still going to be sharper to the human eye. It's a better experience. Um, so yeah, five bucks gets you in the door. Twenty five bucks uh, gets you a book. I think whenever we publish a book, whenever we first publish a book, you get if you're at the twenty five dollar level, you get one of those books. Fifty bucks, we do a monthly print, um, which is we only run it one time and then it's gone forever. Uh, and then at, uh, above that, like a hundred dollar level, we'll give you keys to like the turn-based tactics game, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, all, all that good stuff. Um, and even at the $5 level, you get, um, you get priority access to some of our product launches for merchandise, uh, for the books. Uh, we have unique colorways for Patreon backers for our patches and shirts. Yeah. People love our red stuff. Like we, uh, red, I mentioned that in Yemen, red, red, red uh, like accents became one of the, the significant things about BPRE uh, in terms of recognizing the guys. And uh, we sell red versions of our t-shirts and patches that are only to Patreon backers. So just, you know, a little bit of a thank you and like, Hey, like you, you actually laid out the five bucks to support us for a month and you, you were able to get those cool patches and, you know, and, and our patches are really unique too, because they're actually designed like real, what we imagined. I mean, that's, that was, I mean, Mike, was that one of the ways you found out about us? Cause we, we did, we did, we did PVC patches with barcodes and QR codes that you could scan. It was like the future of FFI. No, I actually found out about the brand from uh, the Facebook game back in around 2010. <laughs> Oh my God, the Facebook game, Jesus! Our uh, one of our early concepts is like after we couldn't do an FPS and we'd burned through so much of our money, we're like, well, what kind of game can we make? We all like RPGs, and we're like, ah, this Facebook social media game looks like it could be cool. We launched it. We never made a nickel on it, <laughs> but 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 it was the groundwork for the gra the first graphic novel series. Okay, well, John, Mike, thank you for uh, being on the show here. I really enjoyed it. I really interesting game and approach to the way you put the game together and fascinating insight to actually launching a game. So um, thanks for being on uh, Miniature Wargaming Labs. Well, thank you, James. It's been a pleasure talking, talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about what we're doing. Well, and for everyone listening, thanks for joining us at Miniature Wargaming Labs, and we'll see you next time. Bye.